Cornelia Tinboon, we know her as Corey Tinboon, was a Dutch watchmaker during World War II. You probably know the book, the story, The, the, the Hiding Place. Uh, she and her family looked around in society and they saw this extreme hatred for the Jewish people brought on by the occupation of Germany in their Dutch country. So they looked around and said, this is not, this is not of the Lord. To, to hate a people, a people group like this, is not something that the Lord would, would, would condone. This is wrong. So her and her family began hiding Jewish people. It is said that they saved some 800 lives before another Dutch citizen reported them to the police, to the Gestapo. The whole family was arrested. They ended up in a concentration camp. Corey was the only one to survive. Could you imagine the courage it took to stand against an entire society? Think about that for a second. We kind of, we lie, oh, that's great. Way to go. We read the hiding story, watch the movie, go, yeah. But do you understand the courage when the entire society is against you German society had already determined that Jews were untermenschen, less than humans. In the newspapers, they would depict the Jewish people in cartoons looking like dogs or silly people. There was an extreme hatred for the Jewish race, carried over, of course, through the occupation of Germany in their country. Jews were mocked. Their whole, mostly, not everyone, obviously, but their whole society believed that it was acceptable to murder Jewish people simply because they're Jews. She had to act in direct opposition to the societal views of her day. That takes courage. It's one thing when just a few people are saying something, when the entire society is against you, that takes courage. An anonymous author was talking about her conversation she had with her father one time. And although she didn't die as a martyr, she did give testimony. That's what it means. A martyr is actually to give witness. She gave witness to Jesus Christ, even in the concentration camp. The writer says, yet when she was a little girl, she worried that she would never be strong enough to suffer for Jesus. Her father, a very wise man, told her to think about all the times they had gone on train trips. So he asked her, when do I give you the money for the trip? Three weeks before? And Corey answered that he gave her the money just before they got on the train. So Mr. Tinboom told Corey that our wise father in heaven knows when we are going to need things too. So he said to her, today you do not need the strength to be a martyr, but as soon as you're called upon for the honor of suffering for Jesus, he will supply the strength you need just in time. He will give the grace in time of need. This is exactly what the writer of Hebrews wants to tell us in the, in the life of a particular biblical character, that God's favor, God's grace, God's, God, God's giving to us in our, in our time of need, his favor strengthens believers to act courageously in the face of societal mockery and scorn. We have been living as American Christians, as Americans, in what I guess is called a normal or normalcy bias. We believe everything is going to remain the same as it always has in America and that nothing will change. But I mean, I think you and I notice that there are changes happening, but we get in this mindset that things just are and they'll always are gonna stay that way and they'll never change. Don't worry about change. But we can see the society around us changing 
The writer of Hebrews was writing to a group of people that had come out of the old covenant into the new covenant, were wrestling with the idea of the rituals of the old covenant, faith in Jesus Christ, following Jesus. They're wrestling with all, and they're wavering. Should I go back to the old covenant? Should I stay in the new covenant? So he's writing to them to strengthen them. And that's here in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. Uh, The hall of faith is what some people like to call it. So you notice in your bulletin, there are only two two verses for the sermon today. So that means it's going to be a very short sermon. Uh, No, sorry, sorry, sorry. I thought we'd get that one out of the way quickly. Just two verses, but I think the writer of Hebrews and then in corresponding text that talks about the person we're gonna talk about will give us a good insight on how you and I, in in, in a society that seems to be moving away from the truth in God's word to stand strong in our faith and be courageous Christians. Look at verse number six. Like I said, just two verses out of Hebrews chapter 11. Verse number six. This is following the, the situation with Enoch and Enoch's faith. Verse number six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, that he is, and that he rewards those who seek him. And the seeking is diligently seeking him, looking after them, after him with their whole heart. So the first thing is that he is, that he exists. And I think that if you're here today, you probably believe he exists. And you have a concept in the Bible about him rewarding faithful service and rewarding those who diligently seek after him. That's what the writer wants to tell us that the life that pleases God begins by recognizing God and his character. Who is this God that we, we know him, he is, he exists, he's revealed himself in his word, in creation, in himself, the son, the incarnation. We have to know the nature and character of God if we want to be able to, to discern what evil is. Remember, we talked about that last week. Evil is anything contrary to the nature and character of God. So if we want to be able to identify evil, we have to know the character and nature of God. Person cannot please God without faith. Now, I actually heard something last night. I was listening to a Christian, a Christian radio station while I was making dinner, and I, I heard this, this statement as, yeah, we Christians operate on blind faith. And let me just dispel that. There is no such thing as blind faith. Faith always is rooted in the word of God, a promise of God. That is faith. It's not like, oh, I just believe it because I believe it. No, no, no. Faith is always rooted in the word of God, what God has revealed about himself. So without faith, it's impossible. Hey, Cain tried to please God, but without faith. And how'd that go for him? That didn't turn out too well for him, did it? Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse four. By faith, Abel, Cain's brother, offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Now again, it's not necessarily what Cain brought or Abel brought for the sacrifice, but the motive and the heart in giving the sacrifice. Abel was by faith, Cain was without faith, through which he was commended as righteous, that's Abel. God commending him by his accepting his gifts. Cain's gifts he did not accept because the motivation for giving was wrong was not by faith. And through his faith, he, though he died, he still speaks. So the legitimate place we begin is by believing God exists and believing God rewards those who diligently seek him with their whole heart. Those two concepts, the writer of Hebrews says, that will strengthen you and root you into a place. The more you know God, the better you can trust his word. God exists is the first thing. A person must believe the character of God that he is, his works, his his word, his revelation in the son, in the incarnation, that he is. 
that he exists. See, the world begins with the phrase, God is not, and therefore that's their worldview. We believe, believe, start with the phrase, God is, and that directs our worldview. But the world says God is not, so I can therefore live my life as I please and direct my own life. How, how, how do we know that God exists? I mean, how do we know? Well, he, his creation, he tells us, his word, the incarnation, that God came and lived among us. He dwelled among us. We saw him as human beings. That's another evidence that he exists. In fact, remember what Jesus said to Philip in John 14? This is what he said. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. God has revealed himself in his Son. How can you say, show us the Father? So through his word, through his works, and through the incarnation, we know he exists. And he gives rewards for those who diligently seek after him. The reward is kind of like a paymaster paying an appropriate wage is the idea. Paymaster gives out the right wage and God knows how to offer those rewards to faithful service to him. Faith lays hold of God's graciousness. He rewards us. And the greatest thing about the rewards are not necessarily things that he gives us. The greatest reward that God gives to us is himself. That is our greatest reward. He gives himself to us, reveals himself to us, walks with us, dwells within us through his spirit. So the person who puts their trust in God, find their faith is rewarded. There is a direct relationship between faith and reward. Paul told the Corinthians that there's no other foundation that you can lay other than what has been laid, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation for salvation. Now, when we build upon that foundation with works, he mentioned about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, their work, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not to be judged for sins, but to be judged by what we did in our bodies because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. God rewards faithful service. He sees, and as a paymaster rewards the appropriate wage, he pays back, he gives back to his people a reward. And again, the greatest reward is he himself to us. God honors those who honor him. This person that's described here in verse number six is a person who finds their deepest satisfaction in God. They don't seek satisfaction from the world. They don't seek satisfaction from their job. They don't seek satisfaction in relationships, people. Those are all valuable things, but their deepest satisfaction is being in a relationship with God. And that's their ultimate concern. For they seek after him, describing a singular determination to devote yourself to the service of God. For everyone who seeks after him diligently looks at how can they devote their life to serving God. God rewards faithfulness. So now the writer of Hebrews wants to give us a concrete example of what he just gave us in verse number six. Who is a person that did just this? Who believed that God is and then believed that God rewards those who faithfully serve him, diligently seek after him. And the, and the example he gives us is Noah. Look at verse number seven. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, so God spoke to Noah, warned him about something that is yet to happen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. 
By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Here is a concrete example of a person who believes God is and rewards those who diligently seek after him. He's the first witness to uh, demonstrate this obedience. Let's go back to Genesis chapter six. Real careful, I put it up on the screen. If you want to look in your Bible, Genesis chapter, I want to see really what transpired with Noah that the writer of Hebrews can use him as an example of one by faith acted. Uh, Verse number five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Now I need, this is years after creation. I don't know the population of the earth. I don't know how many people are on the face of the earth. Could be a large number of people. Okay, just keep that in mind. That wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth and it grieved him. He was in anguish, it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor, grace is the idea, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. Your neighbor would come in and steal your stuff and harm you if they could or would. It was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth, every one with the exception of Noah and his family. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them, interesting phrase, with the earth. Is that an interesting phrase? I will destroy them with the earth. Now this is a story we all know. It's very familiar to us. So so stay with me even though you know the story. We see a stark contrast here between Genesis chapter one where God saw everything he created as good. And then on the sixth day, he created man and he said, it is very good. Now he sees, all he sees is violence and wickedness, corruption of mankind. It's a direct opposition to chapter one of Genesis. Notice where the sin took place. Sin had its root in a person's thought life. The thoughts of the intention of the heart were only evil continually. It began up here in the mind. For your belief system drives your behavior. So it began up here in the mind and their behavior were they just ignored everything around them concerning God. Proverbs 28 says this, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Now, if you want, you can put the word mark there because I have done that. I have trusted in my own mind. I thought, I know better than God. I can take care of this. I don't need God. I'll take care of it. Anyone else ever been there? Okay, you know what I mean? Listen, it says right here, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but... Contrast, he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. It began up in their mind and all they thought about were evil things as much as they could harm people or exploit people. It's all they wanted to do. And it says that God had regretted that he made man. The word is translated in the Old Testament as repent in other words. He repented that he made man. He regretted that he made man. And when he, re- when he regrets, when he repents, he begins to act differently concerning, concerning people. 
See, divine repentance is a response to people's changes of heart, whether for the better or for the worse. It's not that God goes against his own will. He'll never do that. There are a couple of options that, that someone could go down, and depending on what they choose, God's response to them may change. Here's an example, Jeremiah chapter 18. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, so God declares he's going to raise up a nation, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent, that's the word repent, regret, I will relent of the good that I intended to do to it. So depending on people's response to God, God's, God's response to them may change. So because of the wickedness of mankind, his regretting, his repentance is, I wish I would have never made man. Now, he has to keep man alive. Why? Because there was a promise in Genesis chapter 3 that the Messiah was going to come through Eve, through the woman. If all people died on the earth, God would be a liar. He has to keep people alive. Noah is that person. He is the man. His family. Here God's heart had a mixture of rage and bitter anguish at this. His creation that he, that he, that he created to, in his image to do good, to help, to serve. All they do is harm and destroy. So he says, I'll blot them out. I will cross their names out of a list is the idea. It's used in Exodus chapter 32. But now Moses is talking to God. If you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book. That's the idea of erasing names from records. Blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. It's the idea of erase your name out of the book. I'll blot them out. The flood reverses God's great act of creation. He created everything and now it's all destroyed in the flood. But Noah this man, this righteous man, this blameless man. And the blameless are characterized by abstaining from sin and walking in the law of the Lord. It doesn't mean that he was perfect. None of us are perfect. We're human beings. But the idea is that his, his, his desire was to serve faithfully God. He was blameless. In fact, Psalm 15 says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. The text tells us in Genesis that, that, that Noah walked with God. Does that sound familiar? Another character that walked with God, Enoch, walked with God and was not. That's Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Enoch, one of these great, great prophets of God. Now, now Noah is compared to Enoch. They walked with God. But the earth had become so corrupt, so filthy, spoiled like a garment buried in the earth. Jeremiah 13 uses this exact same phrase. Then I went to the Euphrates. God had told him to do something as a sign. He buried a loincloth and he goes back to get it. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug and I took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it and behold, the loincloth was spoiled. Could you imagine burying a piece of clothing in the ground next to a river for a long period of time coming back? You can imagine it would be spoiled. It would be of no Use is the idea of no use. People and animals, they were supposed to fill the earth, but now it's violence and corruption are filling the earth. Everything is opposite of what God intended. That is, it was very antisocial, unneighborly activity. The exploitation of the weak by the powerful. I get what I want and I'll take it from you and I don't care. I don't care at all. Violence. Gordon Winham, this word violence, Hamas, 
is cold-blooded and unscrupulous infringement of, a pers- of the personal rights of others. In other words, I don't care about you. I want what I want. Motivated by greed and hate and often making use of physical violence and brutality. That's the state of the world in Noah's day. Did you notice that the punishment fits the crime? Did you notice that? The punishment fits the crime. The world had ruined itself, so God is going to ruin the earth. He's going to destroy it with the earth. The punishment fits the crime. And the God, the great giver of life, is now taking life away here. So God instructs Noah. You know, we all know the story. Build an ark. Go and build an ark. Why? For the saving of your family. Go build an ark. Genesis chapter four, six, verse 14. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. And you think about this, this building of this ark was no small task. It wasn't like, oh, hey, I need you to, you know, next time you go out to eat at a restaurant, just pray out loud and thank God for the food. Give a blessing on the food at the restaurant. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a small task. It would be more like, okay, the next restaurant you go to, I want you to pay for everyone's meal in that place that night and for the next 10 years. That's the idea we're talking about. It's not some small task that we're doing here. The ark was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide and 45 feet tall. Did I mention it probably had never rained before? We don't know exactly, but we know that we're told that that the mist came up from the ground and watered the plants from the ground. So you can imagine he's building an ark and you can hear his neighbor saying, what is it? It's a boat. What's it for? There's gonna be a big flood. Oh yeah, right. You know, rain's gonna come down. What? It always comes from underneath. No, no, it's going to come down. It's going to be a big, you can imagine. It just went against everyone's natural reasoning. But Noah, this one, this one who was found favor in the eyes of the Lord, this guy was a believer before he was even asked to do the task. He was already saved before he was asked to do the task. Genesis chapter six, we already read this. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And Noah walked with God. He was already a believer when God came to him. And Noah, he he did not hesitate to act. He believed the word of God. He believed God is, and he believed that God rewards those who diligently seek him. He believed, despite all the evidence. There was nothing out there that would confirm in his mind that it truly was gonna rain so much that it was gonna flood the entire earth. Now, the great deeps were broken up, we know that too, and they came up from underneath as well, but rain came down. Despite all evidence, he was willing to say, okay, God, I'm willing to do it. Matthew Henry says, well, actually, let me go back to Genesis chapter six. This tells us that he did it. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So he did it exactly like he was asked to do. And Matthew Henry says, faith first influences our affections and then our actions. Or as William Lane wrote, it also demonstrates a spiritual sensitivity to the reality of God, that God is, that enabled Noah to endure the scorn of his contemporaries and the occasional doubts of his own mind, firmly persuaded that the safety of his family would be, in the re- would be the reward that would follow a period of persevering expectations. Noah becomes the example of what the definition of faith is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, that's a confident expectation, the conviction of things not seen. So God speaks and we say, despite all evidence, we don't know how that's gonna happen, but we believe you, God. We believe you. We don't know how it's gonna work, but we believe this word that you have spoken to us. 
we believe it. That's faith. And it's not a blind faith. It's faith in the word of God. The story was told of a, a guy out on a hike, got disoriented, lost, out of water, runs across an old homestead. And on the homestead, he noticed that one of those pump handles that you pump water up out of the ground from a well. So he goes over to the pump handle and he, he racks it a couple of times and all he got was dust out of, the, out of the pump handle. And then he noticed a little sign that says, you have to first prime the pump and then it will give you abundant fresh water. Two feet over and two feet up is a, is a jar, a container of water. Dig it up, prime the pump, pump the water, and you'll have enough water to drink as much as you possibly need. When you're done, fill the container up again and bury it in the same spot. What would you do? He found the container. Now the question is, do I drink the water that I know is here or do I put the water in the pump, prime it, and hope that water comes out of the ground? This author who wrote this said, to tell you the truth, I drink the water that was buried, is what the guy said. And the reason is, he said this, I don't know who wrote the sign on that rusty pump. He could have been playing a joke. He could have been a horrible person. He could be a liar. I don't know who wrote the sign on that pump. And the author went on to say, faith obviously has an element of risk involved in it. But there's one factor in the above story that doesn't exist when it comes to God. I know who wrote the sign. I know who wrote the sign. And when he says something, it's going to come to pass. I can trust his word, even despite all evidence around me. When I should drink the water because I'm thirsty, I trust his word. So he built an ark. And the building of the ark was a visible sign announcing to the world that the judgment of God was coming. Judgment's coming. Rain, flooding, everyone's going to die. Get on the boat. But Noah's actions, along with his words, were a condemnation to a sinful, disobedient generation. It revealed the world's unbelief. Now, Noah didn't set out and say, hey, man, I'm going to just be this thorn in the side of everyone. That's not what he, I'm just going to tell the people what God told me. I'm just going to be faithful to the message of God, and I'm going to tell the people what God has told me. I'm going to be faithful to God. But the world looked at him as a threat because he condemned the world by his actions. Do not be surprised when you faithfully follow the word of God that others will feel condemned around you without you saying a word because it reveals their unbelief. He didn't set out to do that. That's, he was just being faithful to God. And the result was he condemned the world and showed their unbelief. He shamed his contemporaries by the quality of his faith. Warren Wiersbe wrote, Noah's faith involved the whole person. His mind was warned of God, his heart was moved with fear, and his will acted on what God told him. Since nobody at that time had ever seen a flood or perhaps even a rainstorm, Noah's action must have generated a great deal of interest and probably ridicule as well. Uh, Noah, this is a building inspector of the area. Can you show me your permit, please? Well, I don't have a permit. Well, you need to get a permit to build this thing. By the way, what is this thing? It's a boat. Why are you making a boat? Well, it's going to rain. You can, you can imagine? I mean, we know the story so well, we kind of, oh yeah, we heard it in Sunday school. We know the story so well. But place yourself in Noah's position. Think about if that was you in Noah's position. No one believed you. And as he was preaching, everyone's just going on with their life. Like, oh yeah, this guy's nuts. He's crazy. In fact, even Jesus said this is what they did in Matthew 24. For as were the days of Noah, 
so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, just normal, every human day activities. Until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. His society looked at him and said, you are crazy. As a matter of fact, Noah, you are a crazy conspiracy theorist. (laughs) Then the rain came and the fat trekkers drowned. (laughs) You're crazy. Again, we read the story and we fail to place ourselves in Noah's spot. He made this ark, which was a prototype of the salvation that's found in Christ. It's a picture of salvation. It's a type of salvation. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. The ark becomes then like a picture of salvation. As a matter of fact, if you ever get a chance to go to the ark encounter, in Kentucky, you'll see on the door of the Ark Encounter, what do you see? A cross. They made a picture of a cross on the door. It's, it's a shadow, and you could see it, and it just reminds us that this Ark that you're walking through that day is a prototype, it's a type of salvation of faith alone in Jesus Christ. You can't be saved in any other place in Noah's days other than being in the Ark. That's the picture. And God bestowed a righteousness on Noah for his faithfulness. Genesis chapter three, we know that righteousness comes by faith. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So he becomes an heir of the righteousness to come, which means he's going to inherit it. Do you know what God has said to us? We are going to inherit certain things too. So we're gonna be co-inheritors with Noah. He inherited righteousness. We're going to inherit things as well. In fact, in Ephesians chapter one, this is what we're told. In him you also, that's in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in other words, when you heard, and believed in him, the moment you believed, it's an aristin, the nanoseconds you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, that which is yet to come, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of, of his glory. So Noah inherited the new world after the flood as the readers of Hebrews will inherit the new world that's gonna come in the new age to come. It was to remind them, like Noah, you're gonna have to be strong in your faith. You're gonna have to stand firm in your faith. There is a new world coming. Look for it. Stand firm. Now think with me for a sec. It was just Noah and his family that believed. Eight persons Eight people out of whatever the population of the earth was at that time. They were alone. No one joined them. No one said, hey, I agree with you. I'm I'm hopping on too. Is there a place for me? No one cared. They were alone in believing in God. They all thought that Noah was peculiar. Who is this man? He's this, this conspiracy theorist guy. Yet Noah stood firm in his faith. He knew that God is, and he knew that God would reward those who faithfully seek after him. Noah had this great faith in God that we just, we read the story and we go, oh yeah, good for you, Noah, way to go. But think about it. He was alone in this world, standing for the truth of God. He had great faith. 
evaluate your spiritual life today. You know where you stand spiritually. You know the level of your faith. Look at your spiritual life today. Look at the level of your faith. We're not going to judge each other. Of course, we're all looking at our own selves. And think with me. Ask yourself this question. Could I be a Noah? Could you be a Noah? Could you stand against an entire society that hated God and wanted you dead and speak the truth of God's word, the gospel message to this world? Could you be a Noah? Could you stand firm in your faith in an unbelieving world, carrying out God's word, just you and your family all alone? There's no one else. Could I be a Noah? I asked myself the same question. That's why I'm preaching this message. I asked myself this question two weeks ago. I was thinking one night, I was thinking of Noah, and I said, could I be a Noah? In my heart, I would say, I want to be a Noah. I want to be that kind of Christian. I want to be that kind of believer. I want to be a Noah. But when, when push comes to shove, would I really stand? I'm hoping I would. But I had to ask myself that question. Can I be a Noah in a society that hates God, is filled with violence and corruption, and to stand firm in the faith, believing that he is and rewards those who diligently seek him? Could I be a Noah? Nobody believes you. They mock and ridicule you. They think you're nuts. Yet God is asking you to stand firm. That's a, that's a probing question. And again, my heart wants to say, yes, I would do it. I was like, my heart would say, yes, I would die for Jesus. But I'm, when you get to that point, would we really? Could we be Noah's today in this world? And I'm telling you, this world needs many Noah's because judgment is coming. We see it around us. We know when the tribulation hits, judgment of God is coming to this world. This world needs many Noahs today. They need us with the gospel message to go to them, to warn them that judgment is coming, to stand by faith when everything else just seems to be, doesn't make any sense in our mind whatsoever. But we believe that God has spoken and that he will act. And we trust him. And we stand firm in the faith. Could we be Noahs? This world needs them today. This world needs lot of Noah's. Let's be Noah's. Let's pray. Father, it is a probing question and my heart knows what I would like to do, but if forced to a situation where I and my family are the only ones on the face of the earth that believes you, would I have faith like Noah? Would I believe like him and trust you like he did? Could I stand up and say, I'm sorry. I, I know it's never rained before and I know that you don't understand what I'm doing, but God has spoken. You have to believe him. Could I be a Noah? I want to be. Give me your favor and your grace and your strength to courageously stand against the evil of this society today and not going out and condemning them, but simply living a holy life. In that, it will be a condemnation. Father, please. Make us know us today. Send us out into a world that's coming under your judgment and it's coming soon because you have given us this message of life and freedom, of salvation, of a future promise of a heavenly city dwelling in your presence, the reward forever. Oh, Father, make us know us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.